0: The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein.
1: I'm Kendra Sheets.
0: And I'm Rich Gill.
1: And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community.
0: This podcast may contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including rape. These accounts can be triggering, especially for those who have also experienced sexual trauma.
1: If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue if you are able. These conversations can be mentally and emotionally taxing, but they are so important to have. Welcome to another episode of the Enough Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kendra Sheets.
0: And I'm your other host, Rich Gill. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Jason Garcia. Jason has a pretty extensive resume, including being a guest multiple times on The Wedge Live, which is a popular podcast about Minneapolis politics. Jason has done extensive work in the social justice community of Minneapolis and is also one of the more well-known social media personalities of the Twin Cities.
1: Before we welcome Jason in as our guest, it's important to share some background on what's been happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota over the last few years.
0: In the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the riots that followed during the summer of 2020, the music scene in Minneapolis had what one would maybe call an awakening. You just do a quick Google search of Minneapolis music scene Me Too, you will find a plethora of information about the movement, the events that led up to it. And what has occurred since then?
1: And we've actually already had a few Minneapolis-based guests on to discuss the abuse they faced as members of the music scene. This includes Kristen Crabtree and also Psalm 1. Psalm and Kristen were two of many people who came forward and spoke openly about how they were treated, verbally, emotionally, physically, by artists in the city.
0: Now, this is just a small list of the artists who were called out, but they include Prof and DJ Fundo, Dem Atlas. POS, uh, the Rhymesayers label, and various artists associated with it. Minneapolis radio DJ Eric Malmberg, and many, many more. And it wasn't just reserved for musicians. A talent buyer at Ice House Supper Club was also removed from his position after five separate accusations.
1: And if you've been to the city, you may be familiar with First Avenue. It's an extremely prominent venue, which has kind of a Hollywood Star Walk theme painted on the side of the building. In 2021. They even painted over a star of a prominent city musician after allegations came out in national publications, including Rolling Stone, Spin, Pitchfork, AV Club, NME, Brooklyn Vegan, there's more. Those are just some of the artists who are named in media publications. There are entire Twitter threads dedicated to naming other artists who have done everything from harassing fans after shows to raping and assaulting partners. Many survivors look to their personal social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram to confront their abusers and to tell their stories. And journalists have publicly called on their employers to further investigate claims.
0: And that brings us to today's guest, Jason Garcia. Jason has been one of the many, many people, myself and Kendra included, who has been on the receiving end of some pretty gnarly online harassment from a family member of that same artist who had their star painted over by First Avenue. Today, we're gonna talk a little bit about that particular situation, as well as some other things relating to the pushback from fans and friends of the artists who are named in the Minnesota music callouts of 2020 and 2021.
1: Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: So, my name is Jason Garcia. Um, I am originally from Wisconsin. Um, I moved to the Twin Cities after college. Moved a couple times since then, but always end up coming back to Minneapolis it's really the place that feels like home to me. I've been involved with a lot of things in Minneapolis for 25 years now. Um, I first moved to Minneapolis in the fall of 1997. I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of really great people in art and music and community service. I've been a volunteer with Planned Parenthood since 2015. I am serving as the president of my neighborhood's uh, neighborhood association board. And I've been really fortunate to get to know a lot of people in local politics who are doing really cool things, which has unfortunately brought me into contact with a lot of people who are not doing that great things in local politics as well. But yeah, currently I work for a nonprofit that is aiming to increase indigenous food sovereignty in not just the Twin Cities and Minnesota, but all across the country, um, which is really exciting. And um, as someone who grew up in a very small town in rural Wisconsin that is immediately adjacent to Native American reservation and had a lot of Native American friends growing up, it feels like a, a really exciting opportunity.
1: Okay, you got the job. You're hired. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> just right, right off the bat,
0: I just want to say it's very easy for people to sit behind a keyboard and like tweet things out or like put things out on social media. But, Jason's like walking the walk
1: for decades
0: and (laughs) I just I think that's I think that's great and it's something that everyone should aspire to be as involved (laughs) as you are I appreciate that that's really kind (laughs) so the main thing that we are here to talk about in this episode is online harassment what that looks like from a survivor slash ally perspective you know, one of the big things that happens when, not just an artist, but when a person is sort of confronted with their, um, with the harm that they've caused, be it harassment or sexual assault or rape or anything like that. One of the things that they will do is immediately start attacking the people who confronted them and also the victim survivors. Unfortunately, a lot of us are a part of also myself and Kendra included. So Jason, I don't know if you just kind of want to. Jump right into what the
1: floor is yours.
0: Yeah. So, um, I guess going back to
2: the summer of 2020, following the insurrections after MPD murdered George Floyd, some very brave people came out, um, and talked about abuse within the Twin Cities music scene and people who were not just musicians, but people who were associated with that. And it kind of started when one local photographer called out another local photographer for abuse and taking advantage of drunk people and things like that and then from there it went to a woman who is a dj who was living here at the time calling out another dj um, and really things kind of exploded from there and in my long time of living in minneapolis and knowing people i had become pretty close with people who worked at rhyme sayers and doom tree When I was living out of state, um, there were people who would have meals with me when they were playing shows in Milwaukee or Madison or things like that. They were people that I considered personal friends. And it really felt like when those groups started kind of dodging accountability and only releasing kind of murky statements or not really addressing the totality of the abuses that were being brought forward, I hoped that I could use my position and connection with them to elevate those survivors' voices. That had varying success. I think there are a lot of people that are still waiting for people from those groups to be fully accountable and make reparations and even apologize to the community. So that kind of simmered for the next several months. And then in March of 2021, when a a specific persona-based musician from the Twin Cities was called out and accused of multiple sexual assaults. I knew that most of the um, accusations were being kept anonymous because people were worried about the repercussions of that. And, you know, I kind of looked at the situation again and said, you know, I am an older person. I'm in my mid-40s. I have a lot of body privilege. I have white passing privilege and kind of from my experiences of working or volunteering as a clinic escort at Planned Parenthood that I wanted to leverage the privilege that I had by speaking out about it and sort of being the lightning rod to conduct people's stories. And for several weeks many people sent me their stories um, about not just that musician but also about a local radio DJ and how you know the reason that he had been fired from the current was around his history of sexual abuse and sexual assault with young people at a camp that he worked at so i spent a lot of time trying to amplify those stories and share them and just raise awareness and give people who didn't feel like they could speak out themselves because they were scared to a chance to tell their stories and one of the really sad, but I guess inspiring things about that time was when I would have these discussions with people who wanted things shared. I would ask them, you know, like, are you comfortable with me saying this and things like that? And almost to a, a person, all of them said, yes, I I just don't want it to happen to other people. There was never any, any concern about winning any money in court or winning a conviction or things like that that some of us might assume would feel like justice. Their concern was always just that other young women or other young people didn't have to have that happen to them. So in the spring of 2021, um, the local radio DJ filed for a harassment restraining order against me. That was in, I believe, the end of March of 2021. We went through the entire process with that, which involved having court-ordered mediation in June. And then he hired an attorney to pursue the actual hearing before a referee. That hearing happened at the end of August of 2021. And then his demand, I guess, was that I take down any of my social media posts that were about him and that I never post about him again.
1: So what, what was the tone of what you were posting?
2: I would say it was very... Direct, um very straightforward, just saying, you know, this person has been um, accused of these things. This person um, has preyed on young people in his role working in a camp, and things like that.
1: so it was informational almost, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. So that was his ask. And when we were in mediation, I said that I would do all of those things if he made a full public apology. To the people that he had harmed, which he refused to do, which is why we ended up going to a hearing. And then two weeks after the hearing, I got a letter in the mail that said the referee's decision was that everything that I had said was protected by the First Amendment. Um, that he was also something of a public figure; there was public media that had been written about him. So one of his claims was that I was making it impossible for him to get work, but they pointed out that if somebody Googled his name, like nothing that I said about him came up, but there were many news articles about him.
1: You've got like large-scale news organizations saying X, Y, Z, and then you're on your social media saying X, Y, Z, and he's coming after you for saying X, Y, Z, and not these big heavy hitters.
2: Right. Got um, it. And you know, <laughs> makes
1: sense. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it's it's an intimidation tactic. Of course, it's something that It's definitely unnerving when, you know, the sheriff's deputies show up at your house and say, we have these papers for you and things like that. But again, that's part of why I did it, because I, as an older person who's been around and knows some things, like, I can shoulder that so that other people who maybe don't have these same experiences that I have don't have to have that happen to them. Right. So, I have tried to remain consistent in that. I will continue to bring up when shows are booked that feature people who are abusive or people who are transphobic or people who are racist or anti-Semitic. When people like that are attempting to have shows or book shows in Minneapolis, I speak out about that too. I've been at protests for those shows. And I saw the persona-based musician driving down the block around one of those shows last summer. So sharing information and disseminating information is a very important part of what we do. And there are always consequences to whatever actions you take. And some of us, I think, are a little more clear-eyed and willing to accept that than some of the people that we speak
0: about. You know, one of the things that people who are being accused of stuff like to bring up or Friends of theirs is is that people do this for clout or to get known or for some sort of fame. And what they don't understand is that the amount of people who come forward with it with this stuff is the tip of the iceberg of the amount of people who have stories. Like, as Kendra and I can attest to doing this podcast, like the amount of stuff we've heard from people that has never made it to the show because sometimes it's just they just want someone. To hear their story. A lot of times, like that, people just want to be heard and believed and just get this out to someone, not necessarily publicly. Sometimes, yes, but sometimes, no. There are a lot of people
2: who are very motivated by attention and wanting people to look at them and look up to them or perceive them in a certain way. And that's pretty common for people who become entertainers people who want to work in art or things like that. And I think there's a lot of projection because they don't grasp that other people could possibly have different motives than they do.
1: That's a very interesting point. Good point. Holy Holy shit. shit. Mind blown.
0: (laughs) Yes. That is a holy shit moment. Like, wow, that is, huge
1: rich and i have been grappling with this for almost two and a half years now (laughs) and you just basically blew up the entire like secret behind the podcast like angst
2: (laughs) yeah i mean you know people who are very careful about how they craft their public personas and their artistic images so they're very image conscious and they're always assuming that that's how everyone else is other people must be operating with those same masks and those same motives and because so many of them are so egocentric, it's hard for them to conceive other people don't do things for those reasons,
1: still, my blood. Wow <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take me a second. I oh my too. gosh.
0: yeah, I need a minute <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> that is
1: so you're talking about your social media. You've crafted your social media to be something where people can go to see, you know, i I want to go to this show. Let me check to see. If Jason's written about anyone on this show, is this a bad show? Is this a good show? How many followers are we talking about here? We have like 7 million?
2: No, I have about <laughs> 2,000 followers on Twitter, which is my most popular social media account, I
0: guess. Your your Twitter account, you actually lost it for a period of time, earlier this year and last year, correct? Yeah, from mid-April last year until
2: January of this year. On my last day at my former employer, Um, which was the middle of April, 2022, my former boss sent me a message and was just like, hey, I just heard from our HR department that this guy keeps contacting the school about you. And she's used a variety of different methods. Like she has sent emails. She has gone through our feedback portal and submitted messages and things like that. And we just kind of wanted to make sure that you're safe Um, Because this guy is kind of a, I think my boss said that he, he sounded kind of like a raving lunatic, which I was like, yeah, like I'm not stressed about this guy. But so my boss sent me a screenshot of this message that he had that this person who is the brother of the local persona based musician. And I posted that on Twitter, because I found it very instructional for people that like, you know, this is the sort of thing that people will do when you publicly address things that are going on um they will try to do whatever they can to to silence you while still like complaining about cancel culture and things like that so in that screenshot i forgot to redact his email address so then it was report he or somebody else i suppose reported it as me doxing him by sharing his personal contact information which is available on his professional website. You know, if you search that person, it's very easy to find that email address. And I think the most notable thing about that was that it's an AOL.com email address. So everybody <laughs> was more, more amused by that than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Twitter suspended my account, which was fine. I, like I said, I, I understand that there are sometimes ramifications. And in that instance, I was sloppy. I should have thought more about how I posted that. And the interesting thing about that was I got the notice while I was at a show. Oh, who was it that was performing? Tim is a rocker, which is a local band, and Black Widows. And I happened to be at that show talking to one of the survivors who spoke publicly about that musician. He and his wife had assaulted her when she was drinking and was in the parking lot outside a bar after a show so i immediately brought it to her her attention so that she was aware of what was going on but it was just like a very kind of wild coincidence that all of that happened like the day that i went to a show um and happened to be in the presence of someone who had spoken out publicly not anonymously about that musician and in discussing that we kind of put it together that the brother of that musician was contacting other people's employers too. So that kind of hung out for several months. And then starting in January, before I even got my Twitter account reinstated, the brother of this musician started contacting my current employer via email. And last month, the HR department where I worked sent me Screenshots of, I think, probably 15 pages of emails.
1: 15 pages?
2: Yes, and they include, like, screenshots of tweets that he feels are mean to him or his brother. He's accused me of doctoring images to make him look bad and things like that. So I got that toward the end of March, and I assume that he still is contacting my employer periodically. He feels like it's justified, given that people contact venues or agents or things like that about his brother. And I think that he sort of looks at that as being his his way of seeking what he perceives as justice. Having gone through the HRO court challenge before, I was somewhat surprised that I didn't get another notice about it, but maybe it's coming. I don't know.
1: It seems like with this amount of time that this has become like a part-time job for this person, not just in dealing with Reaching out to your employers and and all of that, but just other people in general. It's it's like a whole side gig.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I imagine that he has to keep coming up with new Twitter accounts to follow people on. You know, he has to keep coming up with new personas to try to get close to people to get information and things like that. All while like talking about how those of us who speak out about his brother are obsessed and. You know, malicious and motivated by hatred and things like that. So the projection really feels like a lot. And again, I think that because that is how he is so motivated, he assumes that must be everyone else's motivation as well.
0: Along those same lines, you said that your current employer had sent you 15 pages of emails.
1: 15 pages. I'm still not over it.
0: <laughs> and then, I mean, there's probably upwards of. 12, maybe more, people that I know of had the same thing happen to them. So the amount of time... Same person? Same person, yeah. Yeah. So the amount of time...
1: Went to the school's feedback page like that?
0: Yeah.
2: Finding any way possible to submit feedback and trying to get eyes on it. And in like many of these messages, both from my previous employer... And my current employer, he references, like, I've reached out about this and no one has gotten back to me, you know? And I think most people would take that as a hint and just be like, yeah, okay, I said this, they're not contacting me back. But um, that seems to inspire him to just push harder.
0: I've heard the same thing on voicemails, that he's also left at people's places of business. It's emails, it's phone calls, it's...
1: Every means necessary. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah right. Not to spend the entire time talking about this one person, although I'm sure we can. but you know, don't want to feed that ego, yeah, any more than we need to.
1: We're just waiting for the Instagram messages to roll in.
0: oh, they will they will oh, yeah <laughs> but you know, I think it's it's important to talk about like this as as an intimidation tactic because thankfully, myself and Jason you. We have people that we work with and for who believe in what we're doing and see it as a good thing, not that we're trying to destroy someone. And again, this is all public information that we're putting out there. That's not always the case, though. This is meant to silence people and make them afraid to speak out because they don't want the same thing to happen to them. They don't want their employers to be contacted or... Twitter accounts making up fake stories about them. Yeah, I
2: I think you're right. We are fortunate that we are in this position to kind of weather this sort of thing. Um, And there are a lot of people who aren't. And I think that's why it, it makes it even more important that when we know we have the support system that we continue to do what we do because there are people who can't take that risk. There are people who, for a variety of reasons, be it their own mental health or, you know, their employment status or things like that, can't take those risks and can't address those things. Um, It does make it more important for all of us to kind of examine what privileges we have and what opportunities we have to continue to speak out about those things despite the pressure not to.
0: And I think that's a big reason why Kendra and I do this. It's important that attention is brought to all of this from all sides. Exactly. And, you know, I really appreciate that you two have been doing this for so long and
2: I know that, you know, you've gotten a, l- a lot of pushback and I'm sure that your DMs are just filthy at times.
1: They can be so ugly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really can.
1: Kind of going off of that, you've gone through with, with these two different characters that you've brought up. You've dealt with a myriad of... Different obstacles from legal obstacles to obstacles socially uh, or social media related, I guess, rather. How do you handle these emotionally, mentally? Are you just cool with it? Like, <laughs> it's fine because you seem pretty cool with it. I'm like about to have a panic attack most days. So,
2: yeah. So, you know, you brought up having social consequences. And when I addressed Ramsayers and Doomtree, not just as entities, but as individuals. Several of those people were people who I considered personal friends for well over a decade at that point. And none of those people are my friends anymore. And that was difficult. I understand it, but it was not the greatest feeling in the world, you know, because I had really high impressions of those people. And I thought that they would handle these things in in a, a better fashion and in a way that would be more geared toward the values that they always espoused so i mean there aside from just losing a twitter account or things like that there have been consequences and those are the things that weigh on me i would say more having somebody trying to track my every social media move and send screenshots of my social media to you know the higher ups at my organization that stuff just feels more like playgroundly things and i grew up like i said in in a very small town in northern wisconsin I was the only person of Mexican descent in that town. I saw a lot of racism directed toward my Native American friends. There's a lot of classism and a lot of toxic masculinity. And I've been dealing with bullies since I can remember. And, you know, as an adult, it's just sort of something that slides off me. I'm just not very concerned that those people can hurt me in any way that matters because I don't give them any sort of space in my mind to be anything other than a temporary amusement. I take very seriously the actions that they put toward others and the things that in one example that this person's brother has done to people. But when it comes to people trying to attack me or say things to me, I just don't take them very seriously because I feel like if they were serious people, they would be addressing the issues at hand, not the people who are talking about them.
1: Again. <laughs> just I want to like keep you in my pocket for whenever I need <laughs> like motivational speaking. I'm like, thank you, Jason. I really needed you today. Cause you're making some really fabulous points.
2: Well, I mean, and I also want to name the fact that I am six feet three inches tall. I weigh about two hundred and seventy-five pounds. I'm a large person, and I have also spent years standing in front of Planned Parenthood and having people yell terrible things about me and my eternal soul. Um, people telling me how disappointed my parents must be in me and things like that. And from doing that, you gain a perspective on you know what people are going to say to you and the histrionics that people will have when you ignore them and don't really lean into whatever they're trying to get out of you. And that's kind of the way that I approach this is it sucks to hear those things, but I would rather be the person who's absorbing those things than somebody who doesn't
0: have the privileges that I do. Brilliant. No, I think that's a really, that's a really good point. And the reason to speak up about this stuff is to protect people who are afraid to, or who do not, you know, like you brought up, who do not have the same um, privileges that, some of us do and to use that privilege and to use platforms like you know a large social media um, following or a podcast to i mean for lack of a better term like to use those for good and not evil so it it feels like a lot of what the people who are coming after victim survivors and allies like they think they're the good guys but they're they're using their platforms for evil yeah
2: yeah i mean it's it's fascinating to think about in the past roughly 3 years how many networks of people you know we've developed as victims survivors allies you know to help shield one another and to uphold each other and then also considering the fact that there are people on the other side of that who are also building networks with other people who have caused harm and don't want to acknowledge that and don't want to make things right. And it feels like cartoony to say, you know, it's like, you know, some sort of supervillain team-up sometimes. And that definitely gives them way too much credit. But at the same time, I think it is important to realize that people who are very selfish and self-motivated to, for lack of a better term, you know, just make themselves look good will try to use each other in that capacity. And then they'll try to say, you know, maybe you can say bad things about this person too. Maybe you can try to get their social media accounts closed down. Maybe you can report them for things. And they're doing it out of very selfish reasons. Um, And I think that's one of the easiest ways to tell who is doing things for a positive reason and who is doing things for a negative reason is who their focus is on. And again, like I feel very fortunate that I grew up with a mother who instilled that the sort of value in me that you stand up for people who don't have the ability to stand up for themselves and that bullying is wrong and things like that. Um and like I can remember hearing stories about my great grandfather and his family standing up to the KKK and, in their town. And I think those are things that I heard from a very young age. And it, so that became a, a big value for me to, to live up to that and to carry those ethics. Like, and like I said, I grew up in a town of like 1,600 people. And there are times when Minneapolis feels infinitely smaller than that. You know, in terms of everybody knowing each other, everyone is like two degrees away from somebody that you dated. Too real. (laughs) I'm very familiar with that dynamic. And those are the things that small town, small minded people think of is that they, you know, if I destroy your social status, then you're not going to have anything. And I feel like I've lived a dozen lifetimes and there's constant you know, reinvention and constant growth. So the concept of somebody talking bad about me on Twitter or sending me mean messages is, like I said, it's hard to take seriously because there are so many more pressing things that those people could be doing and addressing if they were serious about this. Yeah.
1: Awesome. <laughs> that's, that's
2: a- <laughs> really good point. I just think about how easy it is for people whose entire life isn't wrapped up in, their own ego to say, you know what, I fucked up, and I'm sorry, and I will do better, or how can I make this right? But when you are so involved and so self-absorbed to that point, like you can't admit any any sort of wrongdoing for real, you can say like, "I'm sorry, I made you feel bad," or something like that.
1: I'm sorry, you feel like yes, yeah, uh, the, the narcissist apology,
2: right? And I think that you know that's just a lot of. A lot of what we see from abusers, because by and large, most abusers are trying to assuage their own ego, either trying to make themselves feel more powerful and more important than they are, or by just saying, I am important because I am a musician or I'm an artist and therefore I'm entitled to do these things. And, you know, I've I've thought a lot about this. Um, I... I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault, and I sort of compartmentalized that when I was a kid, but in my late adolescence, I really started thinking a lot about it and what what it meant and trying to learn about abusers' mentalities and things like that and how those perceptions have shifted since the late 80s and early 90s it is fascinating. The way that I grew to look at things is from a community basis and Those are people who go about things from a very individualistic basis. And I think it's always going to be difficult to understand one another when you have such different paradigms of how people should exist together. But I think that, especially when we talk about restorative justice and things like that, that's really what it comes down to is how you value your community and the people that you're around. And unfortunately, a lot of these people show that they just don't have a lot of value for anyone other than themselves or their immediate circle.
1: Which is always kind of shocking to me, because if you are a musician, right, who got you there? Who got you on that stage? Who filled that room? Who got you on that label? Your fans, your community, that's who you should be valuing. Do not treat them like shit.
2: Yeah, do not victimize those people after your shows. But those people would look at it and say, well, I'm the one who got me here. I'm the one who's talented. I'm the one who's a great performer. And that just sounds like such a a lonely terrible mindset to me. I don't, I don't know how, how people
0: carry on like that. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like, and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at
1: gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.